and let me introduce you to them. First of all, Dan Moorhead is a psychiatrist in clinical practice in Austin, uh, and he also speaks regularly uh, for mental health advocacy. He's the super supervising psychiatrist at the Samaritan Center for Pastoral Counseling, and he served as associate faculty at Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary. He's former assistant residency director at the Menninger, is it Menninger or Menninger? Menninger, Menninger Clinic. Uh, he's board certified, in, and that's in, that's in Houston, is that right? Uh, yeah, it is now, okay. He is uh, board certified in general psychiatry and neuropsychiatry, and he main, maintains interests in brain science, psychotherapy, and spirituality. So uh, that's Dan Moorhead. Jeff Gatlin uh, here has been a licensed professional counselor in San Antonio for the last 20 years, most of that time at the University of Texas at San Antonio, working with both undergraduate and graduate students. And he now has a private practice called Third Space Counseling here in San Antonio, and he works with individuals and couples. He, he's got substantial experience in working uh, with issues such as anxiety, depression, uh, relationship concerns, emotional neglect in childhood, PTSD, and work and career stress. And Mary Beth Fisk has over 35 years experience in the nonprofit sector as an executive, a clinical research scientist, and a community builder. She is the former president and chief operating officer of South Texas's largest blood tissue and cellular uh, therapy center. And currently, she serves as the CEO and executive director of the Ecumenical Center for Education, Counseling, and Health. So would you welcome our panel uh, here tonight? Thank you all so much for being here. Um, and we're, we're tackling tonight a question. Let me just phrase it uh, once again for clarity's sake. Uh, the interplay of counseling and medication and faith uh, or spirituality uh, in addressing mental health challenges. Uh, so, first of all... Um, let me ask this. It seems as though we view mental illness as categorically different from other, uh, especially physical kinds of health concerns. Is that a helpful perspective? Uh, is that a helpful perspective? Dan? Oh, well, I have, a, I have strong ideas about this. Um, and, uh, you know, at the beginning of my educational career, I, I didn't think so, and I wasn't sure. And I think as I've gone through my intellectual career, um, I mean, educationally and, and then uh, into psychiatry, it's turned out that we have more and more science accumulating to tell us what we really, really couldn't be sure about say when I was a kid, which is that um, the major mental illnesses, schizophrenia, bipolar, uh, anxiety, depression, they're medical illnesses and they're medical illnesses that happen to affect um, parts of the brain that we need for mental functions. So they're a kind of medical illness and then within that, um, they're the kind of medical illness that affects mental functions like thinking and feeling and behaving. And so, how do we know that? Well, I will not list all the reasons, fear not, but, um, but we know that because when we start digging deeper into what's going on in body and brain, we can see on head scans that uh, the brain is not acting like its normal self. And we can see in microscopic studies that nerve cells aren't acting normally. We can see with neurotransmitters, but we can also see in the whole body um, the inflammatory system changes, the immune system changes, the hormone system changes. So while I'm not saying um, uh, mental illnesses or mental health conditions are only physical, we know they're not, right? By definition, they're, they're mental. They're not just yeah, that's physical. That's a good point, yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, and for me, they're both. Um, I'm, I feel very unambiguous now, and I realize I'm, you know, somebody mentioned weird here already, so I'll, I'll put myself <laughs> in that group. I, I, I'm weird and, and often have weird opinions, but 
I have no qualms about that, and I think that's our, our best rule of thumb is, well, you, you know, how do we respond? Well, how, how would we respond to any kind of medical problem yeah, yeah. is where I start. And, and by the way, you may be weird because you're in Austin. I, I don't know. But uh, at, at, any, at any rate, that's another, that's another think topic. Uh, so we won't go there tonight. Anybody else want to weigh in on that? Sure. Uh, yes. I, I would say, Brian, just um, looking at mental illness versus physical illness, we so uh, frequently these days don't have a problem saying and talking about breast cancer. I'm a breast cancer survivor. Yeah, yeah. How is that different than someone who suffers from mental illness? It's, it's truly not. That's a great point. That's and so we, point. we talk, we, we've given ourselves permission. We have taken the stigma out of some of the physical illnesses that yeah. at one point in time, perhaps in our history, were not something we commonplace talked about. Mm -hmm. But um, mental, mental illness, mental health is no different. But and, and yet we've got a ways to go with stigma issues, don't we? Yeah. We definitely do. We yeah. still see a stigma, um, especially in, in different generations, of reaching out for help. Absolutely. Um, but it is getting better. And so programs like tonight, programs like Pathways to Hope that Doug Beach is here this yeah. evening, uh, um, that is helping to begin to dispel those myths Absolutely. about mental health. Jeff. So uh, we're all in agreement here, uh, apparently. Um, you ask, we, you know, do well. We view mental illness categorically different. Uh, we do. Is it helpful? I don't think so. Yeah. But it's understandable why we do. And I think the reason it's understandable is because I don't think we have a good definition of mental illness. Well, and that was that was going to be one of the things I was going to go no. to next. What what are we talking about there uh, when we say mental illness? Good question. Uh, but, but to, to, the, to the current uh, question exactly here, you keep going. I, don't okay. let me interrupt that. Okay, so what I was going to say is um, a lot of what I see, I consider emotional illness or emotional maladjustment. Um, huh. Things that people come in with that, uh, you know, begin... Uh, there, stress, uh, sure. even some anxieties, grief, relationship issues, uh, they affect you emotionally first. It gets a little complicated here. Um, something that begins as an emotional issue can, left untreated, trigger... Can it transmigrate into I, something more? I believe it can. It can develop into a mental illness. Um, um, like Dan was saying, mental illnesses, they do exist. They're biologically based, brain-based issues like um, bipolar disorders, schizophrenias. Those are mental illnesses. A lot of the other stuff that we do encounter, I think, is emotionally based, mm. but they can transmigrate. Yeah, yeah. And there are some things, emo emotional illnesses or maladjustment, that you can kind of talk your way through. There are other issues, mental illnesses, you really do need medication for. And it's like deciding Absolutely. which is which is where it just gets complicated for people. Absolutely, and I, I hope we can really uh, take a deeper dive into all of that tonight. But let's, let's talk just a second about mental illness itself. Dan, as, a, as, a, as an MD, uh, can you give us the, the standard uh, working definition of mental illness? Uh, I'll give you mine. Okay. Give us the weird definition then. No, I... I uh, uh, mental illness is medical illness that primarily affects mental functions. Okay. All right. You know, I... I Say that again. Mental illness is medical illness that primarily affects mental functions. Okay. Okay. Um, does it get a little problematic if there is, say, head trauma that does affect mental function, you know, say somebody, it, that's not really considered a mental illness, is it? I, and I, I'm really asking, I, I, I don't, I don't yeah. know. So the, the tradition is, and boy, you're going to be sorry you asked some of these I, questions. I, I'm already uh, sorry, Dan. Yeah. I'm already sorry. Well, I, I, uh, I'll make you pay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the tradition is, and this tradition goes back before we had head scans and, and the biological research that we have today to be, to be so clear about some of it. Uh, the tradition was um, 
what used to be, we don't say lower and higher in most things anymore in life, but in medicine, the, the, the lower mental functions like, like motor function, being able to pick up things, your coordination, weakness, paralysis, sure. those were under the do domain of neurology. Okay. And psychiatry had to do with quote unquote higher mental functions like thinking and feeling and behaving. So head injury uh, usually or mostly goes under a, a neurological category if people may have weakness or balance problems or uh, concussion symptoms, right? Mm -hmm. But they can also have mental symptoms like troubles with focus or trouble regulating emotions. And then we start getting into the realm of psychiatry and is okay. there a hard and fast line? No, not really. In fact, so much that some people in the field say psychiatry and neurology merge to, need to merge together. It's kind of a continuum. Yeah, I don't think so, but it's more of a continuum. Okay, yeah. very interesting. All right, well, um, let's, let's move into a more a historical vein here. What, what are the historical roots, uh, and, and I know you're, you're not you know, historians, but uh, the roots of our, of our uh, view of mental illness as a society. I mean, you, you touched upon that a little bit, Mary Beth, when you talked about the progression of, of how we talk about disease and so forth, but you want to... Sure. I mean, that. I think if you look back into ancient times, and even 200 years ago, we find that um, there were people that acted differently than others. Mm -hmm. And those individuals, based upon what we know today to be true in medicine, um, would have likely been diagnostically uh, designated that having a mental illness. Sure. Back in that day, <clears throat> they were thought to be uh, demon-possessed or some, some type of a, a cultural thing at that time that created uh, a, a place where they wanted to take them out of mainstream and not allow those individuals sure. to be around others. And it was a lack of knowledge. And I think today we, we still do see some of that. Um, I think one of the, the comments uh, earlier in, in conversation was, how do we see that in some faith committees? Right, exactly. Areas? And we know that there's some faith traditions that still do have a stigma around certain types of health issues, for example, blood transfusions. Right. Um, those who uh, may not necessarily seek medical treatment in general. And uh, so there's, there's still much work to be done. Sure, you bet. Anybody else want to weigh in on societal views of mental? Uh, no, illness? no, I don't. That question makes me glad you have two other panelists. Because, okay, yeah. all right. Well, then, thank you for You're your non-answer. I uh, appreciate that, Jeff. Um, let, me, let me ask something here, and, and this is uh, a little bit off script, but don't panic. Uh, but it is this, and this is something that's been rattling around in my head for quite some time. Um, it, when, when, yeah, that's what that noise is. Yeah, that's what, that's very funny, Marie. Um, we will strike that from the podcast, please. Uh, uh, and, and it's this, when, when the Bible talks about Jesus encountering um, somebody who would behave in a way that we today might attribute to mental illness, often the language, not always, but often the language uh, uh, used is that of an unclean spirit. Um, and I wonder if that isn't appropriate language sometimes for today when you think of how the word spirit is used. Spirit is, at its root, uh, akin to an animating force. And I think, or I wonder, actually, I wonder if sometimes language like that uh, might still be helpful as long as we are not saying, uh, depending upon our response to that. You know, I think if we, if we treat it... Uh, as something that is to be expunged uh, from the person uh, by incantations or, you know, some uh, thing, you know, that we, some uh, ceremonial thing that we would do, rather than by the compassion that often the Savior showed by drawing near to somebody and speaking in a way that no one else would, would dare speak to a person in that way. Um, 
you know, we say to, we, we see Jesus talking to sometimes the unclean spirit. And I wonder if that isn't, that isn't akin to a therapist drawing near and saying, and I, I'm not saying that Jesus was a therapist, a glorified therapist. He clearly was, you know, on order of magnitude more. But I wonder if the, if, you know, sometimes the therapist draws close and says, what does that voice say to you, you know? Uh, and, and Jesus, there's some kinship there. I, I don't know. It, there, you seem so, to have some thoughts. There, yeah, I'm, I'm so glad you went off script for a simple, easy question that, well, you know, any yeah, of us right. can Sure, can absolutely. <laughs> but I, I will put in a plug for this. I think we... we can all see Jesus in the Gospels being about healing, physical, mental, right. spiritual healing. That's right. Every level, right? Feed the hungry, heal physical things, heal spiritual things. I think implicitly heal mental things, even though that wasn't that wasn't a category per se. At the of course, time. yeah. And uh, I'll also tell a, a story as quickly as I can too about the spiritual and mental illness. I I, I think. Uh, you are right in describing there's a, you know, there, there's a borderland between the mental and spiritual, and they do go together. And so when people especially suffer evil or suffer deeply, we can feel the, you know, the taint of it, the trauma of it, even the evil of what we've been through before. And so we can talk about that as an aspect of ourselves, our experiences, our feelings, and sometimes we can talk about it in spiritual terms which I think is, is fair, but you know, important to sort out as we go to get clarity. But I, I also, in my mind, I differentiate mental illness from spirituality, because having a mental illness, um, it, it may be the result of some, some not wise living that endangers our health, but mental illness is not a spiritual problem. It's not bad spirituality. True. On the other hand, from what people have told me, I have started to think, another of my weird ideas, that more severe mental illnesses can, can make people more vulnerable spiritually. And I, I think that can be in a positive or negative kind of experience. A positive or negative, yeah, right. exactly. So the story I'll tell is of someone who was, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll change details so you know, no, one, no one could know who this is, but, um, and it's not, it's not even from this area, but, Back years ago, I was seeing someone who was a, as close to a card-carrying atheist as I've ever known. And, you know, very nice person, good person, rational arguments, very articulate and well-educated. If we had gotten in a debate about God, I probably would have lost as a believer. Um, had bipolar disorder, got really, really manic, had a bad manic episode, and years after years of knowing this person, they eventually told me in that manic episode, they had this deep experience of evil, and not evil as a general thing, but evil as a real, uh, almost personified thing. And, and they, this person was also an artist and was working on a painting, and doing a painting at the time, and, and felt like in this abstract painting, uh, they could see this face of evil emerging and even eventually identified it with Satan. And so after the mania was over, this person could say, okay, I was in an abnormal state for me and, you know, I need treatment and got therapy and medication and all this, but looked back and said, you know what, we don't uh, appreciate the reality of evil enough in our culture and in our thinking and said... Uh, that is something I never want to mess with. And eventually got rid of the painting and said, there's a spirituality to evil. And that was so striking to me because so many people of faith aren't sure if there's a spirituality evil. Truly. But this person sure was. Yeah, an atheist. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And still an atheist after and the See, that is experience. so, that is, yeah. uh, by the way, uh, that's one of the reasons uh, some people have said uh, that um, that the horror genre of of uh, books and you know, art and and uh, film and so forth, is one of the most Christian genres there is because it takes not I don't mean Friday the Thirteenth slasher movies but true horror, uh, it takes evil seriously and so uh, of course the Bible does as well. But any other thoughts on uh, on that? I yes. think when you're talking about mind, body, and spirit, yeah. which um, are encapsulating. 
that we see in clinical practice. We, we serve about 25,000 individuals a year in San Antonio, South Texas, Central Texas areas sure. um, with outpatient types of counseling services uh, that take on many different, di many different types. But 80% um, of those who do present for counseling at some point within their, their clinical experience with their counselor do bring spirituality into the conversation. Mm, mm. And that's, uh, in many cases, that's something... That percentage is what percent, did you 80%. say? 80%. 80%. Wow. Mm. It's pretty Amazing. consistently across the board. Amazing. So it's, it's important for the type of organization that I represent to be able to have counselors that are prepared to, to take that conversation mm -hmm. into that clinical atmosphere. Absolutely. It's not something that um, is mandated when an individual comes in through the door sure. and uh, pursues counseling. In fact, we it's not uncommon on a, about a monthly basis to have someone walk through our doors and say, you know, I am not here to talk about Jesus and I'm not here to talk about God. And if you if that comes up, I'm out of here. That's the very person that once the door closes, that's a conversation they at some point in time want sure. to enter into. Wow. And it's just part of their healing journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. Jeff? Uh, so um, what you talk about, <clears throat> like the modern-day equivalent, you know, uh, it, just what you were saying reminded me of the dark night of the soul. You know, yes. part of a, that's a, right. a spiritual journey uh, that people go on. Uh, just because someone is uh, dealing with a mental illness doesn't mean they're not going to continue their journey. Absolutely. Um, their spiritual journey. It's going to go on. They're going to be high points, low points. Um, and, and in a wellness model, that's, I mean, you, you would view uh, these episodes often as life stages right. uh, that, that people go through instead of just, you know, you're abnormal or whatever. Right. And whether you have a mental illness or a physical illness, as a human being, you can be enamored of certain lifestyles that may be lighter or darker. You may have tendencies, proclivities toward certain lifestyles that are less healthy, more sure. healthy, and just the presence or absence of uh, mental, emotion, or physical illness isn't going to change that journey necessarily. That's right. That's you know? right. Yeah. Great, great point. Um, it, it seems as though we hear all the time that, to use an old phrase of a book written many years ago, that we're a, a Prozac nation. You know, that in, fi in fact, somebody brought it up out here that, you know, we sort of dispense uh, medications, you know, when people needed just a good spanking or something like that. You know, that, that we've reached uh, an all-time high of people's uh, taking of medication for depression, anxiety, other disorders. And it's reported in such a way uh, sometimes uh, as to imply that, that there are too many people on medication. What does that even mean? What are we getting at? When, when we, any opinions about what we're saying there? Uh, we, are we over-medicated as a society? I mean, uh, this is a question sometimes that that I hear, you know, well, if they would just get off that medication, wouldn't they be, uh, wouldn't they be better? And at the same time, we know people who don't stay on their medication, on their prescribed medications. Does society harbor a bias against medication? Do, do we? Uh, or are we of a divided mind there? What do, what do you think, Jeff? Um, do we harbor a bias against medication? Yeah. Yes. I've seen that over and over and over again. Uh, people coming... Depends on what the medication is, I guess. I mean, people will self-medicate with, you know, a stiff drink. Uh, uh, sure. Uh, or more. A lot of students that I work with are medicating with alcohol or marijuana. Yeah. And it kind of works to a degree. Yeah. You know, I can't argue with it. Uh, people smoking weed, they are a little calmer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I do believe that. However, there are side effects with that, you know, right. arrest and things yeah. like that. Um, we do have a bias against medication, specifically, I think, against psychotropic medication. Mm, yeah. Yet those same people are taking all kinds of medication for heart issues, lung issues. So what's, what, what's the deal there? I mean... Ignorance? No, I, I don't know. Um, I, I think um, we just haven't come to the point yet where we view the brain as an organ like the heart, lungs, or liver. 
and sometimes medication helps that organ function more effectively. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. I want to agree with that, too. Um, and I, I think as we do, you know, hopefully we all find brains interesting because we all have one. And, um, uh, you know, it's Thank the most... you for that vote of confidence. <laughs> I, I came so close to making a joke about you, Brian, and I, I resisted. I considered a bona fide vote of confidence <laughs> that you looked my way I... when you... Uh... <laughs> I have a pet theory about this that's based on dualism. No one has ever asked me to address dualism. No one has ever told me, hey, I, hey, Dan, I'm a dualist. What are you? <laughs> but I have realized I grew up in a, you know, I grew up in a conservative religious environment, and we were all dualists, and we didn't know it. And what I mean is we had body on one side and spirit on, other, and on the other, and body was physical and spirit was mental. And so it made sense, like you get an ear infection or strep throat, well, of course you take a pill, you go to the, the physical doctor and take a physical treatment, and that made sense, and no one had a problem with it in my, in my world. The mental part, it didn't quite fit, because wait a minute, that's non-physical, that's mental and spiritual, and so that's, that's faith or your thinking, or why are you taking a pill for that? And so I'm so glad I've heard uh, a couple of people already say body, mind, spirit, and I think that is actually, we, we can see that uh, understanding in scripture that there's something in between non-physical spirit and the physical body, which is a mind which is both mental and physical. That's true. That's right. a great right. way to understand that. And so if, if our minds, like emotions, will, thinking, uh, have physical problems and we have a physical illness, then yes, take a medicine for the physical part of that. Um, and then, as has already been alluded to, um, there are always problems and emotional issues that go with it that we, that we also need to address because we intuitively know a pill alone will not fix everything. Yes, great point. And I, I think um, that we can't say that enough, but we also, but it's also true, isn't it, that if we, we can't or we risk so much when we just say, pray away your mental illness. Uh, and so we, we are, we cannot afford, I guess, to paraphrase some of what you said, we cannot afford to neglect any component of, of our person, body or mind or spirit. We, we pray away our diabetes, or we pray away our cancer. I mean, some people would say, yeah, you know, uh, you know, but are, is that how we want to live? Is that how we want to have this conversation? Uh, you know, I, I would say in very sim simple, simple terms, Brian, that I think, in my opinion, the Lord has given us the knowledge through doctors and through research to have effective therapies for effective things if properly prescribed. Yes. And with that, um, that knowledge and those uh, that research that's been done, he has given us that along with this wonderful ability to pray Absolutely. And, lift, and lift up those people around you, your family, and yourself in many cases. I think uh, the, uh, uh, his name escapes me now, Francis, uh, anyway, he, he, um, mapped the human genome. Um, Crick. Well, no, I mean, that's Collins. Watson and Crick. Uh, Collins. Collins, Francis Collins, yes, yes. Um, that reminds me of Francis Collins when he, he, he uh, finished mapping the human genome. He said, when we finished that project, uh, my first inclination was to worship God. I mean, and this, this is a, an, a preeminent scientist, you know, who, who has advanced our knowledge of DNA and, you know, uh, heredity so much. And I think that comports with what you were saying, Mary Beth, in that uh, I think we often have, it's easy to, to pigeonhole people. We say, we people of faith don't like to be pigeonholed, but we turn around sometimes and pigeonhole scientists, you know, like it's one, you know, Every scientist, you know, is the same kind of uh, person, and we just say scientists are in their little labs, you know, and they're creating an alternative to God, you know, which is a, a psychotropic drug, you know, an alternative to, uh, to faith. That's not true. It's often because they are driven to 
want to use their God-given skills to help people, I think. Isn't that a, would that I, be a fair way? I would way? say so. I certainly believe that. And I do think there's uh, also things to be said for our more severe mental illness, uh, bipolar, schizophrenia has yes. been mentioned before. Um, I'll tell a quick story of a family that's very dear to our hearts and their daughter, who was 22 years old, uh, began illustrating uh, signs and symptoms of, mm. of bipolar. She was um, cooperative to go see someone, was diagnosed indeed with bipolar and, and prescribed appropriate medications. The challenge here in Texas, however, and we have an expert again in our audience um, with the beaches and of course Dan, is that once someone is over 18 years of age, getting them to stay on their medications or being able to take appropriate steps to guard their health uh, and to help yeah. them stay on track yeah. is um, not possible. That's and, right. and so that's, that's something, that's a hurdle that we hope with uh, Texas legislature and even national legislation can change. But in this particular case, Haley was um, in Austin going to college. Everything just kind of went haywire for her, and she decided she didn't like the side effects of her psychotropic medication, and she stopped taking it. Mm. And by stopping taking that, she went into manic phase and disappeared. And, of course, her parents, who loved her dearly and wanted to help, didn't know where she was for a period of well over a year. Um, I'm pleased to tell you today that I just saw her mother recently, and she's doing much better, mm. staying on the medications, committed to her treatment. But it can have such a negative effect on the families and the, the pain that they it's go a through. Heartbreaking, uh, heartbreaking chapter. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, let's talk a, a little bit about talk therapy and, and counseling here. Um, there seems to be an easier acceptance of counseling interventions in general society than there is of medication. Maybe. I, I don't know. That, that may not be right. That may not be your viewpoint or perspective. But uh, let's just say there is. Uh, no, I, I don't know. But in evangelical circles, um, counseling is often regarded with suspicion unless it is uh, what we might term Christian counseling. Uh, you know. Sure. Now, would you speak to that statement uh, just a little bit? Um, why it's uh, held with or viewed with suspicion? Why is what now? No, I mean, is the question why they would view counseling with suspicion yeah, in yeah, evangelical it is. circles? It, that is my question, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good question that I have no answer to. Okay, I well, do let's not move along. Know. Well, no, no I'm, I'm saying. Kidding. I'm kidding. Why would they view that with suspicion? I suppose that, um, well... You know, therapists themselves, they're sometimes not conventional. Uh, there could, I don't know, I don't know. That's a really good question. I, are we afraid that somebody's going to give us some advice to, you know, reject what is good or reject God, turn us into atheists? I mean, is that... I guess that's possible, but of course that is not the point of counseling. I know, we don't, uh, you know, you don't give advice. Yeah, exactly right. And um, unless you have the buy-in of the person that you're working with, you know, you're not, counseling is not to rewire someone. It's, uh, you know, to help them to understand who they are, what they want, where they're going, what they want to achieve. Absolutely, um, yeah. It's not antithetical to um, an individual's faith. It doesn't have to be. Uh, although, I have to admit, there are times people will come in and, you know, talk about their doubts and things like that. Sure. But who doesn't? Who doesn't do that? Well, you know, who that's, doesn't a, have that's doubts? a real Maybe part not. of living. Uh, really, exactly. Is, is doubting. And, I mean, who would know better than the best curmudgeon in the world? You. Um, but, but the... the um, I have nothing to say to that. I know, because you know it's true. Uh, <laughs> But That's so not true. <laughs> you, I've told you many times you're my favorite commercial. Yes, I know. You know that. Uh, but but the, isn't it true that we are, um, that people often become so um, disintegrated, really, that, that they are paralyzed? And uh, isn't it also true that, that truth, wherever you find it, is always true, you know? I mean, it doesn't have to come from a preacher. It doesn't have to come even... I mean, the atheist said evil is something that's there, 
and I don't want to mess with it. I mean, Dan, that, that was your, your own, that's truth. I that is say, gospel yes, truth right there. I was so surprised. Um, now, I did my training many years ago in the 90s, but I went into psychiatry training thinking that they were going to tell me, well, it's all relative, right? It's, what matters is what's peop in people's heads, which does matter, and everyone's different. And if they see things, you know, in a positive way for them, that's, that's great. That's what we want to try to do. I was so surprised that in, in the, the tradition in which I trained, and I think this is implicitly, this is part of, but, uh, of almost all mental health, um, the idea was not that we can know everything absolutely. Yeah. You know, we're fallible human beings, but that we want to be as realistic as we can, and yes. so we want to deal with whatever the truth is. I don't want to have this illness, but I have it. That's the truth. You know, I wish, okay, personally, I wish I were a more energetic person. Literally, I decided in high school I was going to be a psychiatrist because I could sit in a chair all day and talk to people <laughs> and not have to do heavy lifting. I mean, literally, that was my thought process. That so, is so noble. <laughs> well, that's me. Uh, uh, he's the curmudgeon. I'm noble. <laughs> and you say I'm a curmudgeon. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> But we, you know, we are what we are, and the truth does set us free on a profound level, and we see this in counseling, and I think in a, in a setting where it really comes together, uh, people can find their way spiritually, mm. not to what the therapist tells them, but find their way. Yes. Mentally, and also I want to say biologically, talk therapy is biologically powerful. Mm. Relationships are biologically powerful. Can, can you say a little bit more church, about that? Yes, church and community is biologically mm. powerful. And we, we know this from studies. We know that people live longer and in better health if they're regularly a part of their religious community. Mm. That's not the only thing that helps people's health, but that's one thing. And we know from hundreds, hundreds, and hundreds of studies that talk therapy uh, changes brains and helps people get back into their normal, you know, more healthy state. And so um, I really agree with you. One, one of the unitary things that, that binds it for the whole person is truth. We're, we're after truth, we're yes. after reality. And if, we are, if people really want to know, I think, you know, we're told, seek and you will find. That's right will know. And I, th I think personally, I, I don't say this to everyone I see, but as a person of faith, I can see God honoring that every day. When we really want to know, however painful or difficult it is, in the end, we'll know. Mm. Beautiful. Beautifully said. Um, well, <clears throat> I, I, am, wanna, I want to follow that with uh, this question, and that is, does mental illness, and we've talked about brain scans and so forth, does mental illness have an impact outside of the brain on physical health? And, and if so, how? And I think we, we can say that it probably does, but you want to speak start. to that? I mean, there's many ways, and we know there is a direct comparison to the way stress reacts in the body, mm, the yeah. way that um, your, your because we health. actually hold that in, in our bodies, don't right. we? Right. It can yeah. cause di digestive problems, heart issues, hypertension. There's just a laundry list of different ailments that are affected and sometimes brought on by and, stress. And does that feed back then into the experience of mental illness and sometimes degrade uh, that, degrade a person's mental, mental health even further? I mean, it, the, it affects the physical body, which then feeds back into the mental state. It does. Okay. You know, there's several things we talk to people about when they're experiencing depression and anxiety, and that is exercise, drink lots of water, um, talk to someone, find that confidant that you, in your everyday walk, have near you. You know, seek counseling if that's what you need to do, and perhaps medication be a, can be a help in that journey as well. Yeah. Um, but there's many healthy ways of living that can assist. You know, avoid um, alcoholic beverages. Mm. You know, avoid smoking. We know that smoking causes lung cancer. So there's some other things that we can be looking at and doing and beginning to demystify what mental health is all about. Good, good. Any other thoughts on that, Jim? Um, I, ju I, I just agree completely with, with uh, what they've said. Um, people can deteriorate over time, mm. uh, not, um, not taking care of their health, mental or physical or emotional. And um, yeah, it, it does. There's just a significant effect. 
Yeah, one little factoid here. Uh, uh, there's, there may be newer reviews, but the last review I saw on mental health, uh, mental illness and length of life reviewed 200 studies. If you put all mental illnesses together, mild, moderate, severe, on average, they take about 10 years off the lifespan. Really? So they are major serious things. Oh my word. And I say that as someone, I've dealt with mental illness personally. I've dealt with depression, anxiety. Those are biologically powerful. We're not doomed if we're dealing with them, right? That's one factor in health. Exercise is another, great for the brain I, and I body. Can't, we can't hear that enough, mm -hmm. by the way. We're not doomed if we're dealing we with them. We are not doomed. We have, we have great, you know, talk therapy is powerful. Medicines are powerful. Our, our, our faith lives, our, our spiritual lives are not the answer alone, but they're actually very powerful for our health. Yeah. And so I do not feel pessimistic at all or in despair at all, and I see people every day in the middle of severe episodes, mm. but it's, it, it's real and powerful, and, and we have the data to show that now. How can faith communities talk about um, medication and counseling better? How can we do that better? Any thought, thoughts on that? And, and avoid fear and judgment and so forth? So um, I've been asked this question many times, and I never feel like I have a good answer, but I, I, I keep but trying. But tonight. But yes, God wants me to answer this question <laughs> clearly eventually and get it right. No, <laughs> there's no right answer. But, but uh, one thing I'll, I'll throw out, and I'm, I'm sure others have, have ideas as well and experiences. Um, I, by chance, I happen to be at Saddleback Church where, where uh, uh, Rick and Kathy Warren are, and they're, mm -hmm. they're advocates for mental health and, you know, purpose-driven life and all that came out of there, that church. One thing they said that struck, that struck me was that in every worship service, they have somebody in some way talk about a personal problem or struggle. It's not always a mental health condition. Sometimes it's a you know, divorce or a painful time of life or addiction or, or other kinds of illness. But every service, somebody gets up and says, I've been there. I've had this. So they bake that into their gathered life. Yeah, and it's not the focus uh, yeah, of right, every right. service. Right. But it's, but it's in there as a reminder of this, this is why we're here and we're all in this boat together, which is the boat of having problems, having struggles, having illnesses. Yeah. And I think that is, for me, incredibly powerful. Oh, man. And, it's, and it's so magnetic compared to I look around and everybody else seems perfect and they all have it together. I don't feel like I belong. And we all think that. We all think that about the other person. And in a, it, talk about a feedback loop. I mean, that, that is self-reinforcing, isn't it? But that pops the balloon, something like that. It's amazing. You know, in our heart-to-heart -heart ministries here at First Baptist, um, there are support groups. Yes, that, that's right. Um, if folks are not aware of those, they can contact you, Brian, or Marla yes, that's Rushing. Right. That's right. And uh, see Jeff or Becky and uh, learn more about those groups. There's yeah. groups on forgiveness. There's groups on being wounded by the church. There's, there's groups on divorce. There's divorce care group. That's there's right. a journey to sexual restoration, addiction. sexual addiction. Yeah. Yeah. All very, very um, good groups. Right. And it's a place where you feel normal like you fit in. I'm not the only one in this position and struggling through in this part of my life. And um, it's a healing experience, just like counseling, one-on-one -on -one counseling is support groups and being in a community of right. folks that can understand where you are is, is equally healing. Uh, and, and yet, we as a church, you know, this particular church, we need to, you know, I, 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 I'm, I'm racking my brain trying to think, you know, when's the last time we actually spoke of uh, mental illness? Maybe near the Pathways Conference, you know, Pathways to Hope Conference. But we, we need to be doing this more. Uh, so. Well, events like this, you know, is a great way to broach the subject. Um, uh, the uh, support groups is, I think, just the most fantastic thing that a yeah. church can do. I would advocate that we change the culture of our church, of, of every church, of to, one, C to one where... Um, you don't have to maintain a facade necessarily. Yeah. You go yeah. and you're real and you're who you are and that's 
physically ill, mentally ill, emotionally distressed, whatever the case may be, um, there's just there's some culture change that needs to happen now. How? Agreed. Oh, I'll Agreed. leave that to you. But um, I would like to see that happen in whatever way that would I, be. I share that, Jeff. Yeah, Dan. I want to also throw in, too, from the side of, of somebody uh, um, doing my work every day as a mental health professional, not formally identified. Um, I mean, in my work, I'm not identified with a church. I am personally, but... Right, um, right. There are few to no places outside of a church like this that I can send people who are feeling isolated and left out and lonely that you don't have to pay money to be there. You don't have to pass a test. You can just show up and be there and you are supposed to be welcomed. And I realize there, there are wounds from church. So people, people have experiences of rejection. It's still pretty unique to me that there, there are groups like this, churches that are trying to say everybody really is welcome no matter what. You, know, you show up and you're welcome. And people that I see really, really need that. Uh, that is a really good thing you've said. Uh, what it says to me is that churches have the raw materials already. Uh, they do. Now, they embrace those and use those to varying degrees of success. But we do have this thing uh, called uh, a faith community, you know, a fellowship that if we would take the raw materials that Jesus gave us, we could build something. The potential, the potential is there, and it always has been there. It's realizing that potential. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, Mary I, I was just going to say, just on that same note, um, within the Heart to Heart, I've had the, the great honor and, and blessing of uh, co-leading the Forgiveness Support Group with Marla Rushing. Yeah. And sweet moments, sweet moments yeah. as honesty, as honest as you can get. Yeah. Those are healing. And um, it does take that loneliness out of the equation, which is a part of when we feel isolated, when we withdraw, and can lead to some very, very difficult situations. Absolutely. Um, mental health counseling in our community, what are, what are available resources and services? You want to speak to that? I can start. Ecumenical Center, I can start. Um, at the Ecumenical Center, we serve, as I mentioned earlier, 25,000. Half of those are children throughout our communities. Um, one of the unique things that we've done over the last six years is we partnered with churches, where we churches during the week may have a facility available for counseling to take place. And as a nonprofit organization, we've been able to place a counselor or two counselors, depending on times of week, and make it more physically uh, accessible to people in the mm. community. Mm. So if yep. they live near their church, there's some place they can go to. Um, and so we, we do have 15 locations like that in and around. And I'm happy to say that we yeah. have an announcement. Yeah, here at right? First Baptist, beginning March 25th, we're going to offer one day a week uh, counseling that uh, is supplied by personnel from the Ecumenical Center. So uh, this is a very, very good thing. And, and this is part of the service that you provide uh, in partnering with churches in the community. It's there. true. You know, so much of, um, we know healthcare today to be here and, and, and changing and so forth, but what we don't want to have as a barrier to care is financial. That's right. And, financial. And that's, that's a whole topic of how uh, well the system works uh, here in the United States with with especially with mental health care, oh brother. We were we were just sharing earlier is for counselors getting impaneled on different insurances. It is a mountain to climb. Yeah. And for some insurances, I'll I'll share that United is one. They will not add another counselor in the San Antonio area wow. because they feel like we have our quota of what we need. I, Not true, by the way. When and and. We won't get off too much in the weeds here, but when do we reach the breaking point? This is not sustainable. This is not sustainable, and it's awful. So um, uh, I don't want to end on that note, but uh, uh, we... So, that's for the political discussion. Yeah, that's for the play. Exactly, exactly. Where is American politics headed? Uh, to the, you know, dumpster fire. I don't know. Um, but, but anyway, we are... Um, 
I am heartened by the, the fact that uh, we have three people on this panel here who are in this fight. And um, God love you for that. It's just uh, amazing. Help, help us. Keep teaching us, uh, if you would. We've, we've got to... We'll pay attention to you eventually. Uh, we've got to pay. We've got to pay attention to what you're saying. Um, let's let's see what kind. Since we can't do our really nifty way of asking questions, we're going to do it the old-fashioned way. Do you have? Are there any questions that you have that you would like to ask our panel here? Uh, yes, ma'am. ADHD. This is such an amazingly good question. I've been thinking about this every day for two weeks, <laughs> believe it or not. Wow. Um, because, all right, so attention deficit. Uh, is it overdiagnosed? Is it underdiagnosed? The evidence is both. It is under and overdiagnosed. There are people diagnosed that maybe that's not their problem, mm -hmm. and we find out later, and there are a lot of people who do have that, and it's, it's not diagnosed. So. One thing we know is it's, it's a real set of symptoms and it's very genetic. It's typically, it's 70% genetic and it's mostly people's wiring, right? People are just wired. Uh, some people can sit still and pay attention and some people have a lot of trouble sitting still and other people are still but their mind is out the window from two minutes after the teacher starts talking. And I still don't, uh, you know, others can comment here because we have a lot of expertise here. I think we still don't know really if we, if we should call that a biological mental illness, mainly because it's somebody's wiring that they just take through life. So it's not like, oh, I was fine and then I got depression or schizophrenia and I'm trying to get back to my normal self. It's something that, that people just seem to be wired that way. And for some people, some of the symptoms go away as they get older and for other people, they don't. Right. Bottom line is it's very, very well documented that, that if it's severe enough, it can cause people major problems in school and life. You know, rates of car accidents are higher. All, all, there are all kinds of significant things. I, I knew one man um, who was in uh, high tech. He was literally about to be fired from his job and his uh, wife was about to leave him. Everybody was so frustrated and he was the most frustrated. And he got on a medicine in that case, although there are non-medicine things to do. And his life turned around and I've seen that light bulb come on for people in school situations. Wow. So pills aren't always the answer, medicine isn't always the answer. Is it really an illness? Is it a temperament? I don't think we know. What we do know is in our culture, as opposed to say 100 years ago when kids were running around most of their day, we are required, you know, you take a kid, you know, seven years old, and you say, you sit in this, in this cold uh, room with fluorescent lights and do tedious work that everyone finds boring for six or seven hours a yeah. day. When would most adults be able to do that? I'm You're not making sure me want to go lie down yeah. right now. Yeah, uh, so we put tremendous demands for, for focus and concentration on people in our society, and there, there are huge consequences if our focus isn't there. So I, personally, I don't have a problem with people taking a medicine if we know it's truly helping them do what they need to do. It's like that we say it's like a pair of glasses, right? Yeah. It helps you focus, you can take it, take it off, put it on, but sometimes you need those glasses. At the same time, sorry for the long answer, I don't think we know yet, do, should we really call it a biological illness like the others, or should we just say, you're wired that way, it's not an illness, but, but we gotta address it. Yeah, yeah, good, good. Yes, sir, Ross. And, and let me uh, just say for the sake of others who may not have heard, Ross has put his finger on a major uh, issue here, and it is. And I know this uh, just, you know, being uh, in the college realm, you know, w with our own kids and so forth, um, is the rate of depression and anxiety, the incidence among those aged folks, young adults. Uh, and so anybody want to take that? Anybody here? Um, well, well, you've worked at UTSA. Yes, I have worked on a college years. campus for many, many years. And does there seem to be more anxiety and depression? Yes. 
Why is that? Multiple factors. Um, one of those factors that I've heard about and read about and personally believe is that many more people are now able to attend college. Oh, that's because, a good point. Because they've been identified early. Um, and our culture pushes that, whether you should actually be in college or not, we say college right. is the way you ought to go. True, and true. It's, it's like this value that we have. That and, everybody has to go. And, um, you know, just because you are dealing with anxiety and depression doesn't mean you can't succeed. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, so I think many more people are making it to college that might not have 15, 20 years ago, perhaps. On top of that, College nowadays really is different than when we were there. It really is a much more stressful phenomenon. Um, you wouldn't know it unless you were there and you saw it every day, but wow. um, it's a difficult place. I'm talking UTSA. You know, you think UTSA. Well, it's not like UT Austin. The stress level is just as high Absolutely. at UTSA as it is at UT Austin, as it is at Trinity, as it is Texas Tech, it's exceptionally stressful uh, to go to college. Um, other factors that might uh, contribute to that? Um, I, don't, I don't know, someone else? I mean, many, many factors. I think social media has uh, also put media. another layer on what has- Another dumpster fire, social media, yeah. Uh, and the okay. immediacy of the response, um, back yeah. in my day, probably yeah, older than yours, but yeah. Um, we, we <laughs> Welcome didn't, we didn't to back have, in my day. Uh, <laughs> we didn't have those cell phones and that instant messaging and everything happening so quickly. And yeah. some of the things um, you could see as a positive and some very right. much a negative. There, there's little time for reflection, I think. Uh, we, we hear something and we respond to it. Um, and we, we don't hear something and then wait you know, or, or, you know, we used to wait for letters, you know, and, and then write letters and wait for the person to get them or whatever, you know, and that's... Yeah, yeah, I want to tag on to that, too, because I, 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 I agree um, with what's been mentioned, and, and uh, I really think, yes, social media and smartphones in general, and there's some pretty, there's some pretty good large-scale studies that, that back this up, um, I, you know, I think about, well, is life harder than it used to be, you know, for my parents, my grandparents, great-grandparents? No, they, they had it so much harder than I've had it. On the other hand, there are ways that life is more stressful. We're just bombarded with information That's that right. I don't think we, our, our brains were really made to be Correct. so saturated in all this social information and other data and I think even though we want it, it puts a huge strain on our brains, and that's, that's part of the picture wow. of what we get. Yeah. Brian, show us hands. How many people go on vacation and leave your smartphone email behind? Good. Good for you. All right. There, um, would you define vacation? No, I'm just... Uh, I, let, let, me, let me say, uh, what... Quick, very quick answer. What do we do about all that? Is, the, is that a role for the church to, to form, to do some spiritual formation? Is that an opportunity for the church to do something there? Quiet prayer, reflection, sitting, just being in worship. Has anybody noticed how you slow down? At least I slow down through the time of worship. If you're leading it, you, you can't enjoy it as much. But right, right. You know, I come in with all these worries and frustrations, and by the time I come out, my body and my mind have calmed. There was a, uh, a I believe it was a monk, uh, I can't remember who it was, that said that uh, the world would be vastly different if men would just learn to sit quietly in their rooms. And, uh, yeah, let's have more of that. Um, but not if they have ADHD. Yeah, <laughs> right. Well... <laughs> In a world like that, maybe that would, there would be less incidents of ADHD. But yeah, you're right, Ross. Uh, any other question uh, for this panel here tonight? This is, yes, Nathan. Right. <laughs> N-N-A-M-I. I'm so glad, Doug, that you said this, and I, I was remiss not to mention that. NAMI is amazing. 
and I'm just telling you. Yeah, and I was going to mention, I was going to mention that at the end, but go ahead. It's free. Yeah, and it is free, and it, it's at the Tobin Center right over here. And um, uh, and it's free in case, is that free as in free? Uh, that's, uh, say the dates again, the tw- August 23 and 24, Friday and Saturday. This is the fourth year. Uh, that cannot be, but it is. Okay, August 23 and 24, Pathways to Hope um, conference, and it's right here at Tobin, uh, which uh, has been gracious to, you know, offer that venue every year. And, uh, and it, yes, it is free. Um, these... It's 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 folks uh, like Doug said, folks like this, and and others from all different segments of the community coming together and saying we can we can help one another do this. And it's just it's an amazing amazing gathering. And I would love for all of y'all to be there. Um, y'all, you, you are thinking and you are uh, figuring this stuff out. Very, very good uh, questions and um, thoughts, conversations. Uh, Would you help me thank this panel here tonight?